Hi, guys. Um, I usually serve as a senior leader, which means that I meet with the leaders before they meet with you. Uh, so I know that you're, you're um, meeting every week with a gifted and talented group of women. Um, we didn't really know that this study would land on Easter week. Happy Holy Week. And uh, God did know. And so I'm really excited to get to bring this message. No small task, though, as you all know if you read it. Uh, 54 to 59. Um, last week we, we hit 53 and Tracy Beckwith, Tracy Beckwith talked about uh, how Christ is the real thing. And uh, I don't know whether to thank her or to be mad at her because I've been singing it all week. Um, so in 53 we saw that Christ is the real thing. It's the story of the cross. Um, 650 years before the cross, Isaiah wrote, He's pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Hallelujah. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Why? Well, guess what? It was for you. Um, shameful, yes. Wonderful, yes. How amazing. Let it sink in. 2,600 years ago, Isaiah prophesied that. A way for, for you and me to come back to Christ, to be reunited with him. Um, why did God allow the cross? I don't know, if, did y'all get in here in time to see the tiny writing on the screen? It was, as I paraphrased Isaiah 54. Um, it was, and I saw that as a love story. So I saw, I see Isaiah 50, 53 as the cross and then the um, 54 starts to be perfect harmony. Coke is the real thing. Um, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 54. It's a letter that couldn't be written until chapter 53 was accomplished. It's to Israel. It's God's beloved people. But it's also to us, the church. This is one of those places that we see that the prophet couldn't have possibly understood the entirety of his vision. He was just the scribe. Um, I hope you had a chance to read the love letter. But if you didn't, we'll do it again. Um, now, every good love letter has its fruition in a union. And uh, God has a plan to restore Israel. And there's, in that, there's great joy. And when there's restoration, a lot of times there's a wedding. So um, I went to a wedding this weekend. And um, the preparation and the planning and the beauty that goes into it is wonderful. Um, it, it, but to get into it, it takes an invitation. And that's what we're doing here. God's inviting everyone into a committed relationship to himself, to lead his people, and to care for the needy. Uh, my outline says, I believe I came up with C's, says we have an invitation to commit completely, command courageously, and to care compassionately. So as you look at chapter 54, God's celebrating the cross. His work is finished and sin is covered. He reminds Israel of his commitment. But there's something different. Isaiah has written that foreigners and eunuchs will be worshiping with the Jews. How could that be? Gross. Um, the Jews know that in Deuteronomy 23.1, God strictly forbids foreigners to come into the temple. But this is a foreshadowing of things to come. Uh, what I'm saying is the Jews will have to come to, the, to faith in the Messiah in the same way that everybody else does. Everybody comes to God in the same way, not just, not just with them, but like them. 
Still, you can almost hear God sigh as he dictates chapter 54. What a relief. The offer to return to him has been refreshed, and he urges them to respond. If you listen hard, you can hear an overprotective father training a child. Did you see what he's giving you? Say please and thank you. Do not be afraid. Uh, did you see God's transparency in 54-7? He said, for a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I'll bring you back. In watermark speak, God owned his part. But then in Isaiah 55-1, there's an invitation to all who thirst, everyone. Uh, this call is to the needy, not just Israel. It's a call to everyone. God says, do you have a life-threatening need? Something you can't take care of? Come to the waters. God has an abundant supply. If you have no money, come, buy and eat. God, God can see when your bank account's low. Are you out of money, hungry? That seems kind of foreign to a lot of us here. But uh, the economic times have not been good. And all over the world, there are people starving. God sees it. Come on. Um, I know a little boy who um, moved to a new neighborhood and his dad was taking him out for the first day and uh, to, to play with him. He didn't have any friends and they walked out and this little boy was kind of about this tall. Oops. Did I get it? Um, he, kind of a husky little guy and he walks out and he goes, he, he stops and he sees a kid down the street that was about his age and, and they both square off like little boys do. And, and our little boy goes, hey, boy. <laughs> and the little boy stops and squares off with him. And he goes, you want to be my friend? <laughs> and the little boy nods his head. And he goes, well, then get over here. <laughs> and the little boy comes running over. And that's what this kind of kept reminding me of. Hey, girl, you want to be my friend? Get over here. Um, so, are you in need of comfort? A friend, God offers his Holy Spirit to care for your needs. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Get over here. What are you waiting for? Well, here's why we need to hurry. In Isaiah 55, 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. The offer's not forever. That kind of, that's, that's urgent. It's urgent. Get over here. Um, now, when you're studying, like, the God's word just becomes alive. And uh, I was, my son's a country music singer and songwriter. And so I listen to a lot of country. And there's a song out right now. And the girl's hair is memorable in it, I know. But it's, are you going to kiss me or not? And they go through this whole deal of, um, I'm ready. We've, we've, we've said we like each other. Are you going to kiss me or not? And I think that's what God's saying here to, to all of us. I'm ready. I've done chapter 54. I've done the love letter. Christ has died on the cross. Are you going to kiss me or not? And if you're not, you're, it's going to be too late. Hurry. Um, did, and... Uh, Okay, so back to the foreigners. Um, Isaiah prophesied a time when the world would, uh, that would need to get into worship. Uh, 
start over again. We, we get a reply card when we get an invitation. And um, Isaiah prophesies a time when all that would need to be, be to get into worship would be a reply card of, I believe. Um, and then in Isaiah 56, 3, he says, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Did y'all know that Christ's first sermon was about foreigners? In Luke 4:24, I know you know the story. Um, it says, I've got it written here. So, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, and yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, which means she was a foreigner, she was not a Jew, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. This was, this was Christ's first sermon. So um, he takes it pretty seriously. At, at the sound of this, though, they were no different than in Isaiah's time. What'd they do? They wanted to throw him, they, they drug him out, and they wanted to throw him off the temple. I kind of can relate to them. Can you imagine if someone walked in here today and said, well, I tell you, we're going to let the Afghanistans, we're, we're choosing them over you. I kind of go, well, and... and I could pick any group. I'm not just picking the Afghanistans. I'm just saying someone who is off our shores. It would be upsetting. It would be, um, it would be a new concept for us anyway, one that we'd have to get used to and, and have to be real open to. You're going to pick them after we've done everything that you've asked us to do. And um, so I think that's a little bit of what the Jews were thinking about. Um, and then even worse than that, what about the eunuchs? He says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my, within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name. Well, isn't that what they just gave up? They gave up an everlasting name. Um, I don't know how I'm, Most of us are married in here. Can you imagine your husband saying, okay, I'm going to become a eunuch. But, but these guys did it so that they could, um, it, was, it, was a, it was a way for them to intermingle with a, a class that was above themselves. They could get jobs that they couldn't get before they took away the, the um, possibility of having children and becoming a part of the system with, with an upper class or with, I mean, think about kings and queens and they don't want anyone in their bloodline. And so eunuchs were able to freely come and go. But isn't that what we do too? We give up our name. We give up um, a lot of things so that we can uh, move up in the world. Uh, but God said, okay, have no shame. I'm going to give you an everlasting name. I love you too. I'm going to send my son to die for eunuchs too. Foreigners and eunuchs. Um, so what's in a name? What's in an everlasting name? I know that when Charlie was born, we didn't name him for a long time. Uh, we, we, um, everywhere we would go while I was pregnant, we would see a Charles and he would have a, a pocket thing with pins across it. And, you know, it was, it was just ridiculous. We saw not one 
um, manly Charlie. But uh, my husband walked into the hospital and, and looked at baby boy Barry, and, and I think he started mulling on it, and he came into my room the next day, and he said, you know, it would be a real honor if that baby boy could be John Charles Barry. And I thought, of course, you want to give him your name. And that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to give us his name. And it's a name that'll take us for eternity. Um, he looks at us where, where we are and wants to give us his name. Just as our husbands honor us by giving us their family name, God wants to honor us. Um, are there still people today looking for God to give them a name? I just went to Africa with uh, Antoinette Davis. And uh, kind of in the middle of our conference, it, it just came on our hearts that today, we, you know, we need to do just, just, we need to make an offer call today. We want, I don't even know how to say it because we don't do that in our church, but, but uh, we need to invite people to come front or just recognize that, that uh, they're thirsty. And so Antoinette talked about how to come to Christ, and she said, if, if, you, if you want that for yourself, we're here. We'll stay late. We'll talk to you. And so I kind of went, well, good, that's done. And uh, after the conference, well, you're dirty and you're tired. And we were sitting around, and, and there was a woman who just stayed in her spot. And I saw her, and Sarah, Sarah Stellick was talking to someone else. She goes, you know, there's someone who might like to talk over there. And I went, to me? <laughs> I was saying, I looked around for my, my buddies so that they'd have to go do it. And uh, she said, no, you. And so... I walked back, and, and this girl was troubled, and, and I said, hi, and she goes, I am ready. And I thought, well, good, for what? I was so, I mean, are you prepared for when somebody says that? And she said, I'm ready to trust Christ. And uh, so it was really cool. I got to bring someone over who listened to her confess in her language what, was, what had been separating her from Christ. And uh, then I got to pray with her. And uh, when she came up from praying, she, her eyes were just full of tears. And about that time, the leader of the men's group walked in. And this is where I tie it back to an everlasting name. Not only did she get an everlasting name, but, but Matt walked over and I said, I'd like to introduce you to Nana. She just trusted Christ with her life. And, and uh, he said, oh, I can now call you a sister in Christ. And he prayed with her. And I thought, you know, how well does that tie? He, we can call each other sister in Christ for eternity, a new name. Um, and then uh, in my second, second Roman numeral is the invitation to command courageously. Um, there's a gift of leadership that you may not have, but God puts us, if, if you're a Christian, God puts us in a position of leadership all the time. Maybe you're a mother Maybe you're a sister or you have a job. Um, there's so much scripture about what we do as leaders. There's Ephesians 5, there's Titus 2, there's 1 Timothy 3. Um, when, I, when I try and summarize it, when I think about what we're going to do to recruit leaders, I think um, we want someone who guards from danger, coming danger. Uh, we want someone who cares for people's present needs. And above all, we want someone with wisdom and who loves to turn the hearts of the followers back to God. Um, I was amazed when we read, when we studied Job, 
was it last year? Last year. Job 29, 12 through 17 said, Job leaves no doubt that leaders care for their flock. And he says, I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless with none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. Father to the needy took up the case of the stranger and I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. Um, there, there are women that, are, that I get to rub up against every Wednesday morning and you do too. And they've answered the invitation to be a leader with Christ. Um, they're members of the servants team. They're small group leaders. And if you're in the study, you have one of these leaders. They've put you above themselves all year long. And some of them for, I mean, we've served together for five or six years. Uh, Christ said in Mark 10, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be servant of all. So as I started thinking, I thought, well, I'm going to pick one that, that I can talk about. And uh, I started going around the circle in my mind. We sit and pray for you guys every Wednesday morning. And I started thinking about just some of the stuff that they're doing just this year. I thought about Joy Haynes and Alex Wagner. Uh, carry gifts of food and surprises down to Carr Elementary all year long, showing teachers and, that you love them. Uh, Jenny Burns has, has turned her family's tragedy of a prodigal son into a full-blown ministry. Um, she teaches godly ways to lead children back to the Lord. Uh, Barbara Robertson, when I, when I went to Africa, Barbara's the one who, who taught the girls how to knit the scarves that we're selling. Um, she's made God famous. She, they, uh, one little lady that, that I got to pray with didn't have use of her legs, but she could use the knitting needles. And uh, she said, please keep coming and please keep sending those t-shirts. She said, last year I had a dirt floor and now you see I have a real floor. So um, Barbara's pursuing the widows and the poor in that way. Uh, Kathy Ratliff's held a full-time job until this year. She's made the widow's heart sing by letting her 100-year-old mother uh, live with her. Mari Tardy created a curriculum for children and let all the children's teachers, those in turn, lead your children. Jennifer Hawkins been a mother to the needy. Um, she takes in foster children and has done it since she, her family's done that since she was a little girl. Polly Campbell and her husband put on righteousness and visited our wounded soldiers in Washington, D.C. Pam McGee has been feet to the lame. Pam makes trips to see her father-in-law with Lou Gehrig's real often. Um, I don't know if y'all have, I don't, has the Shelley Mueller thing come out yet? I think this is so cool. Shelley overheard a conversation at shortstop about a woman who was going to get an abortion. And she chased her and prayed with her. And turns out it was one of those TV shows. So um, that's going to be aired. I, I don't think that that was really going to happen. But they just wanted to see if, if Dallas, Texas Christians really put their money where their mouth is. And so, praise God, Shelly was there, and she put her money where her mouth was. And then Antoinette Davis, I think, has just put together over 400 baskets for the needy at Easter time. And she's been doing that for a million years. She's that old. Um, <laughs> But I can tell you without a doubt, there's room for, for more. Um, God's calling us to pursue the needy and to be leaders for him. 
So, um, what does God say? Get over here. Um, what a good leader does not do. Uh, once again, I was listening to a little bit of country music. Uh, so watch this, and let's see what a spiritual leader does not do. I, I was pretty amused and amazed. Um, are you setting that up? Okay, I kind of think that's what God looks at when he looks at us. I mean, that was bad to us, but what he sees, I mean, listen to what he said. In Isaiah 56, 9 through 12, he says, They are useless as watchmen with no concern for security. They're dogs that can't bark. They look after themselves and not, them, not their sheep. Um, he said, they're shepherds who lack understanding. All turn to their own way, seek their own gain. And yes, even like our friends there, come, each one cries, let me get, me, let me get wine. Let's drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today or even better. Isn't that what we think? If I just pull up the sheets over my head, tomorrow will be better. Or even better, I can numb for a while and tomorrow will be better. Um, it doesn't go away. God still wants a relationship with you. And if you want life good, then... Um, so in summary, in summary, they're unqualified. They have no knowledge. They're unmotivated. They lie around. Um, they're insatiable. There's never enough. They're undiscerning. They don't, get to, they don't get to the heart of the matter. They're improvident. Tomorrow will, will be better even if I do nothing today. Um, we know in, in uh, Philippians 2, 4 through 8 that Jesus was a servant leader. And um, that's, that's who we want to emulate and, and be like. And then are you looking for a place to serve and be a servant leader? Well, um, I was pretty blown away. I'm not really a bleeding heart person. And I think God just broke my heart and, and said, this is an urgent deal. Uh, everywhere I looked, there was, there was a, a reference to orphans and widows and immigrants and poor. And I kept kind of wondering, why does that come up? Um, Bruce Walkie called them the quartet of the vulnerable. They're people who have the potential to not be able to, to get a hand up. You know, um, I, I run a job, a business in Fort Worth, and people come and ask for, for work from me. And um, I always think, okay, I'm going to get you on your feet. But it's, it's just like a well that they don't have whatever, whatever I do to give them a hand up is, is eaten up by their, their situation. Um, orphans, orphans, they're little. They can't, you, you know, whatever you do today, will be gone tomorrow. You have to stay with them. And I think that's, what, that's what, what God sees with these people, and that's why he calls them. Those of us who have something need to give to these people, and we all have something. Um, here was my thought process. Well, you need to get a good night's sleep, and then, and then uh, you can call on some jobs. Oh, you sleep on the street? Okay, well, then just get in your car and go stay with your family. Oh, you don't have a car? Well, get on your bicycle. No, you don't have a bicycle? Uh, you know, to the widow who, who doesn't have a hand. Um, have you ever tried to help a widow get a job? Well, nobody wants to pay the benefits for someone who's that age. Or, you know, a widow doesn't have to be old. But um, it's hard. It's hard for women to get a job, and God knew that. Um, 
So what, what do we do about the unfortunate? The Lord says that we're to maintain justice and do what's right for his salvation is close at hand. I found this definition of a just man. A just man is one that's willing to disadvantage himself for the advantage of the community. He believes that all he has is God's. And then an unjust man is one that's willing to disadvantage the community for his own advantage. He's, willing, he's unwilling to share. He believes all that he has is his own and not God's. And the unjust man translates to the wicked man that we keep hearing about. So it's a guy that, that thinks everything he has is, is his and not a gift from God. Um, God said, said it this way. He said, the fast that I want, did y'all read this in 58.6? Loose the chains of injustice. Untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free. Share your food with the hungry. He's not saying, he's not beating around the bush. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer or the immigrant with shelter. Clothe the naked. Do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Um, wow. Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You'll cry for help and he will say, here I am. You know, there are, there are consequences to our wrong choices. This is a huge consequence to our right choices. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you'll cry for help. If, if you want those things, do what God asks you to do. Um, Isaiah 58 then goes on to say in 10 and 12, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, the Lord will guide you always. We can't be saved by works without faith in Christ, but our faith lacks sincerity if it doesn't reach out to others. Um, and then in Matthew 25, it says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And I'm probably just like some of you. I'm probably worse than most of you. Um, I open my, my mail every day to a charity. Um, they want me to give money or clothing or time. And I, I become desensitized. In fact, while I was writing this, I noticed that, that I threw away about five of those. Um, I get a call on my phone for help collecting from my neighbors. No. Mail asking for my money. No. Plan a banquet for the needy. No. Uh, so you see the trend of my heart. Um, when Lucina called and asked me to go to Africa, what was my first thought? No. I don't have time. And uh, of course I said, let me pray about it. They gave me from Thursday till Sunday. <laughs> pray fast. And uh, I got to tell you, it changed my life this time. Um, before I went, uh, Nelson and Jessica Okello from uh, Uganda stayed with me. She was getting knee replacement surgery. And she kept saying, I am overwhelmed with all the children that call me mama. They call her mama Jessica. And I said, well, you know, on average, how many kids would you say do that? And she said, I, she stopped for a minute. She said, I think 600. I said, you gotta be kidding. And uh, she said, there's a way that you can help me. And you can go to our, our website and uh, for $35 a month, you can become a mama to one of these children that, that, has, that, that doesn't have a mama. So I kinda went, no. And, uh, but my daughter went home and did it. 
And she called me and she goes, well, I have a new child and her name is Nancy. My daughter's name is Nancy. She said, I'll never forget to pray for Nancy because she's got my name. And uh, so about a day before I left for Africa, I said, John, and, and, and uh, Jessica said, I'm going to have you meet Nancy. And I thought, I might as well be meeting some others. So I said, John, why don't you see if there's someone you'd like to sponsor? So you can actually go on this website and see their picture. So he called me. And he said, okay, we have Sunday. And I said, well, great. And, and he said, and we have Mildred. And I said, okay. And didn't think anything about it. And we got through the third day of the conference in Africa. And, and I've already told you some of what was hap happening in Africa. I was, your heart is just broken open with what you're seeing. But it's so excited with the change that's happening. And uh, they came up to me afterwards, and we were walking out, and my dirty old red feet and and they said hey we've brought your children and I said well okay and all of a sudden it, it was real my children and uh, and I am that that woman back here in uh, 54 maybe you you're that woman for other reasons but I'm too old to have children anymore and uh, to hear that I was just kind of like wow you know I don't call my children children anymore they're grown-ups and uh, said, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. And so this little boy came walking up, and he wouldn't look at me. And, uh, and so I, it was like talking to a brick wall. And I, and, I, and I was real aware that you don't make promises you can't keep, so that takes away a lot of our American BS. And, and, uh, <laughs> and so... And I, I, you know, just everything, I was asking him about himself. Did he play sports? And, you know, I knew a lot of this from the website. And finally, one of the, one of the, the African ladies that was standing around, everyone had a big smile, uh, this little boy like this, and she said, Sunday, do you know that this is your mama? Sunday, Sunday's body language changed. I, it was no longer stiff, and he lifted his head up, and, and as his head was coming up, big tears started falling. And once again, I didn't know what to say. He didn't really speak uh, Texan very well. He spoke English. Um, <laughs> but I just said, and he, he was, he's about 14, and you want to respect that he's a man, he's the head of his house. And uh, so I said, would it be all right if I hugged you? And he, I don't know if the picture's up there, he did that. He threw his arms around me. And, uh, and so the next day, we, we um, I mean, you can see, I did that about three or four times. <laughs> it's like, can I hug you again? And uh, because of my $35 a month, he gets to eat one meal a day, and uh, he gets a uniform to go to school. So it's not a huge sacrifice on my part, but the sacrifice is that my heart is broken. And uh, God's excited about that, I know. And we went to, this is his house where he lives with his, these are his little brothers and sisters that he takes care of on nothing. Um, his little sister was cooking a big pot of black something. And uh, he was catching pigeons to put in there with it. So um, let me conclude because we're out of time. 
Don't say to Jesus, when did we see you naked and thirsty in prison? Four, it was on the cross. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. When you realize what he did, you'll never look at our poor in the same way. Jesus' heart was broken on the cross. He got the ashes so that we could have the crown of beauty. Not guilt, but an understanding of grace. Radically changes the way, I, the way we look at the poor and makes you admit something for them. The way you know you're saved by grace is you love those who Christ loved. It's more blessed to give than receive. Run to him. Get on over here. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us. Thank you for giving us a heart that can love like you love. God, I pray that I'll use mine, and I pray that these women will use theirs too. Thank you for this time, and thank you for your word that lives. In Christ's name, amen.